Hello, and welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church's podcast. My name is Forrest Duvini. I am the lead pastor at Asbury. I want to thank you for joining us and tell you that I hope this episode will enrich your walk with Christ, increase your understanding of the Bible, and I hope that it will also be a little bit entertaining. I like to think that I uh, at least sometimes make people interested in what I'm saying. Um, We're going to dive in. Today we are talking about the Gospel of Luke because I am encouraging you all to be reading through the Gospels with me in 90 days. Um, I'm recording this on Monday the 13th of February, which is the final day in the Gospel of Mark, which means tomorrow you're going to start the Gospel of Luke, or actually as this is posted uh, on usually on Wednesdays or Thursdays, you will have already started the Gospel of Luke. So let's talk about Luke's Gospel. Luke uh, is, best as we can tell, Luke is a physician, and he is a colleague of Paul. So the different Gospels, the authorship... Um, you know, Matthew was one of the disciples. Matthew is the tax collector who gets called out of the tax booth. Uh, and, and he writes his account um, largely based on his personal experiences. Mark is a bit of a different character. Mark is um, effectively a disciple of Peter. And Mark's gospel is essentially based on Peter's preaching. And so the, the little short gospel of Mark, and one of the reasons why, by the way, that gospel can seem kind of disjointed and out of order compared to some of the others, is precisely that it's, it's got sort of a compilation of Peter's preaching over the years. It's not necessarily done in the same order. Uh, but Luke is a physician. And um, kind of clearly has a, an analytical mind. He opens... Um, He opens his gospel with this, this this very interesting introduction. I'm just going to read the introduction. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Uh, So a couple of notes here. One, he specifies he wants to write an orderly account. Now, I don't know if that's him throwing shade at the Gospel of Mark for being disorderly. Um, Or if he's referring to... Um, other documents, other books that we don't know about or don't have, uh, but there is certainly a concern on Luke's part for making sure there is a well-ordered, well-researched account of Jesus' ministry, life, death, and resurrection. And he addresses the, the book to someone named Theophilus. Now this also, by the way, makes Luke's gospel the only one that is um, written as a letter to somebody, effectively. It doesn't really affect the structure of the book later on in, in ways you might expect, but um, but it does mean he's the only one who's, who's framing his gospel in this way. Now who is Theophilus? The answer is nobody knows. 
It's possible that there is a specific individual named Theophilus who Luke is writing to. It's also possible that there is no one named Theophilus because the name Theophilus simply means lover of God. So it's entirely possible that Luke is just addressing his gospel to all of us. We don't know, and it doesn't actually matter. Uh, Luke also, of course, wrote the book of Acts, and in fact, he kind of intended these to be two parts of the whole. So, uh, And then John thought he was so important, he just shoved his gospel right there in between them. Uh, or more accurately, the, the church decided to separate the two um, and place John in between. Uh, but Acts is really the second half of, of the book that Luke wrote. So they're, they're connected, and it's important to rec recognize that, that you get into the book of Acts, and it's a straight continuation of what Luke writes in the Gospel of Luke. So the, the kind of key themes in the book of Luke, and when we talk about you know, key themes in the Gospel, it is important to remember that they all actually essentially share most of the same themes. Um, it's just that there are some things that are that are emphasized a bit more in some Gospels than they are in others. And some Gospels have stories that aren't included in others. Again, you're dealing with eyewitness accounts of a man's life. Not everyone included everything. And some people made different choices about what to include. Um, so the differences between the Gospels don't in any way, shape, or form invalidate them or reduce their authority somehow. So Luke's gospel. Now Luke does a couple of things that are that are different than the other gospels. One, his story of the birth of John the Baptist takes a slightly different approach. He will focus actually on John the Baptist's father in this story, and he'll go into more detail as well about the prediction of the birth of John the Baptist. And I always think that's a really powerful story to actually to open the gospel with. Because here you have this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are um, very devout, very faithful, um, following the law. Right? Zechariah is one of the temple priests, and you know, he has uh, duties in the temple, and, and you know, here he and his wife have no children, which in that day and age is... Uh, not a good thing. Obviously, there would be some concern for what happens to his wife when he dies, but there's also this sort of nagging belief that if you don't have children, it's because you've been cursed by God for something, because children are a blessing from the Lord, and if you're good and righteous, God's obviously going to give you children. And there are some echoes of that belief still around today. We should always push back against them. Um... But so you have this, this story of these remarkably faithful people who even though um, they, they very likely would have believed themselves that God was punishing them or that they'd been cursed by God for some reason. That's why they haven't been able to have children. But they don't actually lose their faith. They don't give up on God. They, they continue waiting. 
for God to work. And I love that image of Zechariah and Elizabeth faithfully serving God, faithfully obeying God, faithfully waiting for God to move in their lives, even though it had to seem to them as though God had abandoned them and left them to their own devices and wasn't hearing their prayers. So I love the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's, it's wonderful. And of course, Luke gives us far and away the most detailed account of the birth of Jesus because Luke goes into Mary getting visited by the angel and the Magnificat, this beautiful song that, that Mary sings in response to what the angel says to her. Um, and, and just details it all and details the birth of John the Baptist and then has the longest story of the birth of Jesus. He includes, uh, this is, Luke is the one who talks about the shepherds coming and visiting Jesus in, in his birthplace, um, which is awesome. Uh, the, the story of that is is uh, really beautiful. So he gives us all of the things, really, that we, we find, I think, most charming about the birth narrative. I mean, Matthew has other things, but, um, but Luke's narrative, I think, has the elements that most of us tend to zero in on more than Matthew's story. And they, Luke also includes um, little details like how Mary and Joseph took him to the temple when he was, uh, when he was old enough to be presented there according to Jewish law. So Luke really, when, when Luke talks about he's going to give us an orderly account, um, boy does he mean it. He's going to include, um, he's going to include the most detail uh, about Jesus as a child. He's going to include the most careful research of what's going on. He's also, by the way, and I think this is hilarious, he is the only one of the gospel writers who accurately describes the Sea of Galilee as a lake. Because it's a lake. It's a big body of fresh water. It's not a sea. Um, he's the only one who calls it a lake. Because uh, he's Luke, and he's detail-oriented, and he's orderly. Um, so, he also, by the way, is the only one who includes the parables of the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son. And I think that's significant, because those are, uh, in terms of communicating Jesus' message in terms of helping us understand what Jesus saw himself doing, those are two of the most important parables. I mean, really, there's a reason why uh, they have captured our imagination so thoroughly in, in ways that not every parable does. Now, I've obviously, I mean, I've been preaching through the Gospel of Luke now for two weeks. And so, I'm, you know, and I'm going to be preaching on it for uh, two or three more weeks because it's such a rich, detail-oriented Gospel that there is a lot to pull out of here. And so, um, I want to be sure... That what I what I say to you on this podcast has is not going to get repeated in a sermon. Um, I will tell you um, some of the same teachings that Jesus has in Luke 
that are found in other Gospels are done in other places in Luke than, than where other Gospels describe them. So here's an example. Matthew very famously has his Sermon on the Mount. And I've been to the Mount. It's on the shore of Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. Um, Luke records some of the same teachings, these same Beatitudes, except he records them happening on a plain. And so Luke has the Sermon on the Plain, that's P-L-A-I-N, as in flat ground, not aeroplane. You'd think I wouldn't have to make that clear, but you'd be surprised. Uh, and Matthew has the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this, now, the teachings are similar. but They're not exactly the same, but they're similar. It's the locations that are different. Now, I'm going to teach, uh, preach this Sunday on Luke's uh, Sermon on the Plain. I'm not going to go into details about like what the text means and what his teaching means, but I want to. I just want to highlight that this tells us something about the ministry of Jesus. That different gospels record him doing different, doing the same or similar teachings in different places, and sometimes the teachings are a little different, but not a lot different. Now, here's what this tells us: as Jesus is going throughout the countryside to all these little villages, he is repeating the same teachings over and over and over again. Now, there might be some slight variations, uh, and that would account for why in each gospel you have uh, slightly different retellings of the same stories. But he's... Teaching the same, so like by the time he gets to, you know, village number 10, he might have repeated the same parable 10 times. And this makes sense. This is actually, this is how a Jewish rabbi of his day and age would have taught. Uh, Because they would go around, they would travel, they would teach the same things over and over again, use the same rhetorical devices, use the same parables, because Jesus didn't invent the parable. Um... And in that way, their teaching would be very consistent. And it was a way of, of ensuring that anyone who tried to pass on their message, um, not only would that person most likely have, have the message pretty clearly ingrained in them, but also there would then be other people who could help ensure that the message stayed consistent because they would have also heard the parable and if there was a mistake made, they could say, well, hold on, hold on, that's not what he said. He said this. Um, It sort of preserved the integrity of the message throughout time. And do you see what I'm getting at? These teachings that are recorded in the Gospels, they might have some slight differences, uh, which are easily explained by the fact that he just was telling the same parable in different places to different people. But, if Jesus is going around the Galilean countryside, to all these small little villages, and if he is repeating the same parables over and over and over again, all of a sudden, the the gap in time between Jesus' life and ministry and the actual writing down of the Gospels becomes a lot less significant because... You've now got thousands of people who all heard him saying the same things. And he said those things over and over and over again. 
So he ensured that his words were remembered and passed on accurately. So for instance, Luke's gospel, the earliest date I've seen uh, as a a potential date when it was written down is about 60 AD. So 27 years after, uh, roughly 27 years after the crucifixion and resurrection. Mark's gospel is the earliest gospel and the, the earliest date I've ever seen someone suggest for it is around 40, I think 40 to 45 AD, somewhere in there. Um, which would be fairly early, but there are plenty of people who say, no, nah, it's probably sometime in the late 50s, early 60s. But in general, there is a range of dates that are possibilities for when the Gospels are written down. The earliest is about 40 to 45 could have been as late as the year 95. Some of these Gospels may have been written down um, almost 60 years or more after the actual events in question. And so, uh, and there is no good way within that range of dates to, to narrow it down with a lot of certainty. That range of dates is fairly certain. But within that range, that it's about a 50-year range of when the Gospels could have been written down. Things become very, very murky. And so this is one of the things that's often been used just to discredit some of the, the accounts in the Gospels and say, well, look, you've got people writing stories about what happened decades after the fact. Well, yes, but one, that's not unusual. Two, um, that doesn't in any way negate their authority or the truthfulness of it because you've got... People going back to the eyewitnesses of the events. Not just one eyewitness, but there were dozens, hundreds, thousands of eyewitnesses to some of these things. The the teachings and the sayings that are being recorded were extremely well known. And they were being shared and passed on by a group of people who were exceptionally good at preserving oral information. So these stories are accurate. Accurate, accurate, accurate. That's the beauty of having actually four different Gospels. Is just how much they agree on all this stuff helps us be certain that these things really happened. So the distinctiveness of Luke is going to be his emphasis on Uh, the poor, the needy, the suffering, the social implications of Jesus' gospel. Now, that is not to say that Matthew, Mark, and John don't deal with that, because they all do. This is absolutely an important theme in all four gospels, but Luke does highlight it a bit more, and he he really zeroes in on Jesus' work with the poor and the outcast, right? Which is what the, I mean, in a sense, this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in this way, Luke can actually be, I think, one of the more challenging Gospels, especially for modern Christians in, in the West in general, and in, in the U.S. in particular, because Luke will have some of the starkest things to say about wealth and possessions and how we use those things. Um, again, all the Gospels do, but Luke is going to kind of hit that a bit harder and in in firmer language. So yeah, this this can make 
some of us uncomfortable because oh look around us we um, we all really are wealthy we may not feel like we're wealthy I certainly don't feel like I'm wealthy uh, but compared to most of the world woo, we have got it made uh, and, and, and we all have a lot of possessions compared to most of the world And so anytime in the Gospels that we see warnings about what about wealth and money and possessions, we really need to perk up and pay attention. Because even if we might not feel like we're wealthy, we, we actually are. We are. Um, and so, uh, it's, and if you've not done much traveling outside the U.S., or at least if you've not done much traveling into countries that are not as wealthy as the U.S., you may not realize this, but um, all of us, all of us are, are wealthier than the average human being right now. So we got to pay attention. Because again, the, the, the Bible doesn't say, hey, if you're, if you're rich, you're just doomed. <laughs> it never says that. It says if you're, if you're wealthy, you got to watch out. You got to watch out because... You could very easily find yourself putting your faith in your wealth or in your possessions more than in Jesus. And I, I, I worry sometimes that when I preach that message, most people will say, well, we'll think, yeah, well, that, that business owner over there or, or this person over here with the, with the trust fund, I mean, they're the ones that Forrest is preaching to or talking to, but, but I'm talking to every one of us, myself included. Like, within the United States, I am not a wealthy person. Let's be clear about that. Not even close. But by the standards of most of the world, the majority of humanity, I am quite well off. We have to realize that. We have to realize that because that means that within, within the uh, the American church, even, even, the poorest among us, has to worry about wealth and possessions. We have to worry about how those things affect us. We have to worry about uh, how they, how they mess with our hearts and our minds. And, and Luke is a good gospel to read for that. Um, so that's Luke, and not just, of course, our own personal wealth and, and, and dealing with our own issues, but also Luke is going to emphasize what we are meant to do for others. So what are we doing? What are we doing for the poor? What are we doing for the sick, for the hungry? How well are we caring for them? And I would add on top of that, you know, it's, it's really easy for us in, in our culture today to um, find organizations that are doing the work of caring for the poor and hungry and needy and give them money um, 
and, and then think we've satisfied the requirement. I'm not sure it does that. Now that doesn't mean you shouldn't give money to organizations that help people that way. They're they're phenomenal, um, and we absolutely should be supporting groups that are that are doing the hard daily work of caring for the poor, needy, and hungry. But I I think that there is meant to be something more than that. I think the gospel insists that we have a personal responsibility to the poor and the needy and the hungry. And so we then have to find ways to directly work with them, help them, feed them, care for them, show them love and compassion. And as with many other things, I'll be the first to admit, I, I am not good at this. This is not something that I, I have personally done very well on. And it kind of eats at me that I haven't. Uh, but there is something about you directly working with, interfacing with, speaking to, helping uh, people who are much poorer than you, much more hungry than you, much more needy than you that really does change you. So I would suggest it's not enough to give to organizations that do it. I think you need to find ways to actually do some of the work yourself. That, that could mean volunteering with some of the organizations that, that you give to already. Um, it could mean finding things on your own. And it realistically means that we as a congregation, as Asbury, um, really need to take up that mantle again and, and, and do some things. And, and, you know, we've been sort of consumed the past several months with the discernment process and talks of disaffiliation. And there's really no way around that. Um, but Lord willing, on the other side of all this, we can, we can begin to look at what are we going to do to get our hands and feet dirty. What are we going to do to actually fulfill the call of Christ? Uh, to directly show his love and grace to the poorest and neediest in our society. I think that's going to be something we have to look at as a church. So, Lord willing, that will be in the future. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we all, as individual Christians, have to think about what am I doing for the poorest and neediest around me? And I'm going to leave you with that thought for this week. We will be back next week with uh, more on Luke's Gospel. So until then, God bless.